BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right. We have much to discuss here, Mr. LaRue. And I think the way I want to do it is to go in chronological order because as we're going to start to see here now, and this will be even more the case likely on Tuesday, that going last in theory should provide you with an advantage if you know the point differential amount that you need to hit. And so if we start, particularly considering that Boston Orlando started at 1130 Pacific today, I guess everyone had the day off. So no reason not to. I was just surprised to wake up this morning and be like oh wait basketball is on in like three hours uh so let's start there with boston orlando and we can kind of go through on how things evolved throughout the day standings wise what took place in that game before we get all the way into the um the game by game stuff i want to like set up one big thread that I'm going through the games, which is for, I'm not taking anything away from the teams that kind of led some of these surprises, but there were a lot of circumstances where a franchise was in position to kind of solidify their place. And it didn't happen for whatever reason, whether it was great play by a plucky team, or it was just like not quite getting the margin or something else. And I think that really does start with Boston Orlando and there are a lot of different kind of kind of threads from this game and, and other ones and surely Boston falling to the magic 11396 you know like that that number is going to be jarring to people and there is the additional context that not only did Drew Holiday miss the game entirely but Kristaps Porzingis only played 22 minutes he came out partway through the third quarter with a calf issue which I believe he's going to get an MRI on but that you know the the game was tied when Porzingis left it's not like it was the Celtics were up by 20 and then they lost yeah. by one or something but like they that. they were up 12 actually yeah and they were up 12 yeah, the, earlier the, in the game but when Porzingis left the game I believe they was tied yeah yeah they had already given up a 12-0 run to, to tie it but when he left the game but then then they would score only 30 points basically uh the rest of the game and you know whatever it was probably about 20 minutes worth of time correct and we're going to talk on the 15 and 60 uh, I want to do a do a deeper dive on Orlando's defense um but yeah I mean Boston they were a super cold seven of 29 from three and you know Tatum had a rough night from the field seven to 16 that we did make his free throws and even though the Celtics won the possession game, they won the turnover game. They they got demolished on the offensive glass. And that was a big part of the story, too. Yeah, I think it, to set up the context for this one going in, Orlando could have clinched the group with a win. And that would have been after only three games. And to be in a position to clinch after two games, we're like, oh, yeah, like they're the obvious favorites in, in this group. Like, 
you know, then they already beat uh, Brooklyn. They, they won on the road against the Raptors. I was like, I, I foolishly said I thought that might be their hardest game in the group. Not at all the case, uh, especially with the way the Orlando Magic are, are playing. And tonight, I think just in general and based on how teams are playing just overall at this moment right now, and also just to remember like, hey, this is a four-game qualification right I, I think there's and this is not the same as a playoff series you know I, I think there's a reason sometimes even why in game one of a playoff series you see some really surprising results that, that don't hold necessarily right like the the higher seed losing game one at home you know a lot of times they still go on to win because you make your adjustments you allow the fact that you're the better team to tell you have more versatility so you can make make the moves that need to be made over the course of a series and of course things like the shooting luck will normalize etc etc but this is this is four games they're like oh yeah boston's in command blah blah like uh no actually all they had to do was lose this game to orlando and orlando is in control of the group uh orlando kind of had this fluke loss to the nets but they've been playing extremely well they've won six straight uh, and uh, have beaten some really really good teams to do that including uh in that game against denver the other night so uh, denver not looking that good uh, of a team uh, as we'll get to so yeah i mean i i and then of course like chris Porzingis and drew holiday went out and yeah you know i think you can say hey this is a missed opportunity for boston if you told me at the beginning of the game that drew holiday wasn't going to play and chris Porzingis was only going to play 22 minutes and not finish the game i'd be like yeah this game's a toss-up this game's probably actually like i would favor orlando the way that they're playing right now boston's kind of cooled off and so, also also yeah. fair to note here that orlando's missing two starters too it's just that they've been out for longer um wendell carter and marco fultz so it's not uh, like it's yeah no no that's fair i mean fultz wendell carter i i hear you on that one fultz you know i don't think he's really any better than the guys that they're playing sure so so yeah i mean then you know it's unreasonable to expect boston to have a a backup center who can step in is as good as goka batadze danny oh god <laughs> so the 17-0 run for orlando I mean, Boston was playing really well. Like, I've loved the interplay the last few games. We'll talk about this more uh, when we discuss Bucks Celtics from Wednesday on the 15 and 60. But the interplay between Jalen Brown and Porzingis, like, this seems like the first time Jalen Brown has ever had chemistry with anyone other than, like, his little backdoor cuts from Marcus Smart. But, like, he's actually, like, making some passes. Uh, Porzingis set up uh, Brown for, like, a huge backdoor dunk. They're looking really good. And then they just go without a field goal for five minutes. Orlando kills him in transition. Franz hits a layup and a three. Jalen Suggs, who's really looked much better as a spot-up shooter and a little better with his handle. But of course, he's, I think, already one of the best defensive guards in the world. And I, I thought that Orlando, particularly in the absence of Holiday, was really able to get into the Celtics, pressure them like their guard defense has been a problem. Al Horford wasn't hitting the three, so the spacing wasn't there. The Celtics driving kicks that usually result in open threes just weren't getting them open. It was a lot of isolation ball, and they just were kind of bashing their heads uh, against the rim. It was the you know worst of the Celtics. No Porzingis, no Holiday. I mean, those are probably the two most important guys they have, maybe in terms of from like a style of offensive play perspective. And uh, yeah, Orlando just rolled from there, blew them out by 17, which is going to end up mattering quite a bit. They are now plus 22 in the group at 3-1, and, one, and, Orla- and uh, Boston 
has a point differential of zero. So now oh, let, I guess we can there, just... But there will be a way for them to rectify that point differential. <laughs> we, well, but I don't know if DeMar DeRozan is going to stand for that, Danny. DeMar DeRozan will not be happy if they try to run up the score against the Bulls. I'll tell you that. Yeah, so so to give the context, because the Nets didn't play today and the other game in the group was Raptors-Bulls, both teams had already been eliminated. The Celtics now trail, the the Celtics now are 2-1, the Nets are 2-1. The Magic are sealed at 3-1 plus 22. So if only, so, so the Celtics play, they host the Bulls and the Nets host the Raptors. So if the Celtics... Only this, if both teams win, both the Celtics and the Nets win, then it is a three-way tie and the first tiebreaker is null. So it goes straight to differential. And we don't know yet what the Celtics and Nets differential could be. Right now, the, the Magic are 22 ahead of the Celtics and 14 ahead of the Nets. But that could, of course, go in a lot of different directions should that come to pass. But one of the wild scenarios here in the East Group C is if only one of those teams wins, if the other one loses, if Toronto or Chicago play spoiler, then things get complicated because the Magic win the tiebreaker over the Celtics and the Nets win the tiebreaker over the Magic. So which team doesn't win makes it so there's a, the my favorite kind of scenario here is the Raptors could be double spoiler for two teams in their own division because if they beat the Nets the Nets are out and the Magic win the tiebreaker over the Celtics so the Celtics would have to even if they win their game they would have to advance via the wild card should they be qualified for that yeah and again I think this group is a perfect example of like Ah, let's not like put the cart before the horse here because oh yeah boston like they're gonna win the group it's obvious one loss and now the the group is completely flipped and boston may not even make the quarterfinals and let's not forget too if boston all that has to happen is boston lose to the bulls which hey if christoph porzingis can't play if drew holiday won't be back by tuesday like it could possibly happen i, I mean i'm not saying it's likely but you know i, I mean stranger things uh, have certainly happened and brooklyn takes care of toronto at home Brooklyn will win the group because they beat the Magic. Right. So any of these three teams, in theory, could win it. And obviously, if you're Boston, you're rooting for the Nets to beat the Raps, the three-way tie. And the, but then, uh, of course, you got to beat the Bulls by 23. I guess that it could even go into uh, this. Almost became an issue uh, in the West, as we'll get to. But it could even get into who has scored the most points not just differential if they were to somehow tie oh it, it, it doesn't it doesn't go to red cards <laughs> yeah i mean and brooklyn too right if they beat the nets by 14 and it's a three-way tie then the nets or, or, or if brooklyn beats the raptors by 14 and it's a three-way tie then the nets take it uh which would be quite insane as well like i, I mean just the hilarity of brooklyn taking this group would be pretty remarkable and we'll, we'll get to the wild card in a second so that's that's uh east group c complete chaos there now yes and the magic and it's also one of these dynamics that we're going to see in a couple others where the team that currently leads the group is done so like they're just going to yeah. sit back and see what happens and that and and also we can we'll talk about this in the context of the wild card they're plus 22 that's that's a number that could end up mattering later on we can't be sure how yet but we'll know a lot more on tuesday the next game chronologically was one that you and i had fixated on because of the scoring differential and that was oh yeah Su- sun's grizzlies because Phoenix 
we knew they couldn't win their group. The Lakers went 4-0, including a win over the Suns. So what Phoenix's pathway, and we knew this after they beat the Jazz in that in that exciting game, or that was the less exciting one, but they did play them twice. I mean, they were both pretty damn exciting, but yeah, it wasn't the double OT game. It wasn't double OT game. And so what, what set the table was for Phoenix was, okay, they're probably going to win these two games to go to 3-1. and one. They can't win their group, but they can put up a number in differential. And so it was like, okay, what's it going to be? And at halftime, no, so it wasn't halftime. It was it was in the second quarter. I think it was really, there was a point where it was really close. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Like, I guess, I guess they're not going to do it. But then partially on the strength of Devin Booker's 40 points, 15 to 21 from the field. Uh, well, we we should mention that KD was a late scratch with right foot soreness. And I might, that would raise some eyebrows for me. Like, hey, it's in-season tournament game. He just played on Wednesday against the Warriors. Why is he not playing in this one? But like, you can't fuck around with the right foot for KD. That's the one he tore the Achilles in. Uh, right. And I believe, can't remember, that's also the one that he broke the, had the Jones fracture in, although that's well in the rear view mirror now, but uh, almost n- nine years ago. But yeah, so, so he doesn't play. And you're kind of thinking like, hey, like just... Booker, no KD, and obviously no Beal. And Memphis is playing a little bit better, although they are uh, not too good at home. They are 0-7 at home right now. Well, uh, and and then one. and then so the Suns are up eight going into the fourth quarter. The Grizzlies tighten it to six. And I'm like, oh, like I I, I mean I, I I don't think I ever really doubted that the Suns were gonna win the game, but are they gonna be even close? And then from that point on, the Suns scored I think at that point they scored um I think it was 24 and the Grizzlies scored 9 something like that and um and so they ended up with a 110-89 win and the win of course puts them to 3 and 1 and 10 and 6 on the season but the margin sets the number for the wild card it sets the standard you know it's kind of like the leader in the clubhouse in golf where it's a plus 34 and so now if you want to get the wild card spot in west group b you are in in the west you a have to finish second in your group because remember even if you finish with three and one you have to finish second to be eligible and two you have to outscore your opponent's net by 34 or more to have a chance the end of this one was quite enjoyable as you might expect certainly i I give the nba a ton of credit through this entire thing I, i have not been as interested in regular season basketball as i am right now since 2016 and we said we were going to lock in on this, and I've been really enjoying it. It seems like the players and coaches are in on it too, uh, except for DeMar DeRozan. Uh, but the Bulls, the Bulls were never in it because they were basically out of out of it in the group when they lost to the Nets at home on the first night. But Phoenix absolutely went for it here, and the last two minutes were pretty insane the Grizz who don't really have any reason to keep their starters on the floor like Desmond Bain is questionable with a right foot strain sprain whatever coming in he really was hampered you could tell he only had six points it did have 10 assists but plays 34 minutes it's out of reach and Taylor Jenkins decides with just under two minutes remaining wave the white flag we're down high teens here so in comes Kenneth Lofton Jr. in comes Gigi Jackson, in comes Zaire Williams, and look over the table. Nope, Frank Vogel is putting in Grayson Allen for more offense, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the offensive list, they're up 17. And Booker gets Kenneth Lofton Jr. on him. He's on his way to a 40-point game on 15 to 21. And Yusuf Nurkic posts up, but it is Zaire Williams. He gets fouled, makes one out of two. You come back down the other end, Gigi Jackson. 
ice cold off the bench. If you don't know who Gigi Jackson is, I don't blame you. He's the 45th overall pick. Was a very high recruit, reclassified South Carolina, and then uh, ended up having a really rough year there, like criticized the coaching staff on Instagram, I believe, and stuff. So so he he pulls it. And one of the things that he was uh, caused him to follow up was his shot selection. He just guns like a 29-footer, ice cold off the bench with, you know, 19 on the shot clock. Suns come back down, but it goes through Yusuf Nurkic's hands when he had had a layup. Kenny Lofton hits a, a jumper, then Booker drives for a foul, and then they come back down again. Now, what do you do if you're trying to increase the point differential? They're like, okay, well, you're going to run the time down for the last shot, just like you would at the end of a quarter or something. And Devin Booker banks in a right wing three to give him 40 points on the afternoon, plus 28. Zaire misses a three on the other end, and Phoenix escapes with a 21-point win in Memphis, giving them that plus 34 differential, which then becomes what everyone else is going to be shooting for in the wild card and would become very relevant later on, although I think the teams maybe didn't realize how relevant. So yeah, Phoenix at this point looking pretty good. You know, to be three and one plus 34 differential, you know, that's, that's not bad. So, well, and also this, worth yeah. noting, the Suns are guaranteed to finish second in the group because they're every everyone's done in in West Group A. So that we know they're one of the three teams eligible. And, and I will pat uh, a couple of prognosticators on the back for saying that we felt that whoever the wild card was would probably come out of this group because it was Lakers, Phoenix, and then Jazz, Memphis, Portland. I even we probably didn't even realize how bad that trioko would be and. Uh, although the Jazz, had they won that game against the Suns, maybe could have could have been here. So yeah, Suns looking pretty good here. But man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015, and I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct to consumer boom, and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches every sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that hundred night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us 
Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice, heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car, and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us let's uh let's continue here in the west because this is some of the teams now that might be competing with them for the wild card starting with denver and houston in group b this is the maximum chaos group that we were looking for hoping that all five of the teams would end up tied at two and two houston does their part they destroyed denver in this game how much of this one did you get a chance to watch i know you're at the arena today very little i was focusing on a couple of other games at at that time slot so i i will take it uh dylan brooks He's cooled off a little bit from three, but he continues to be very aggressive, and and uh, I, he shot it pretty well in this one. Uh, Houston's defense really just continues to look very good, and with no Jamal Murray, they don't really have a great way to attack Jalen Green. Alperin Shingun, he's like actually pretty strong in the core. Like, uh, didn't he used to do like ballet or something? Maybe that's he's he's unusually flexible. I know that for sure. I don't know which yeah. activities it well, was. Uh, yeah, his, his spin moves are really good. That usually takes a lot of core strength. You know, you saw that play against LeBron where he actually like muscled LeBron out of the way in that game. They ended up losing against the Lakers last weekend. And so he actually holds up reasonably well against Jokic in the post. Jokic didn't have like the greatest game in the world, but he was the only one who did anything in this one. He actually plays 42 minutes in this game, 38 points, 14 of 31 from the field. He took eight threes, seven 11 from the foul line, eight assists, 19 rebounds, but still was negative 12. You know, it wasn't necessarily the non Jokic minutes that totally killed Denver. uh, Although it was (laughs) when they at least got their initial or the Rockets at least got their initial lead and Shingun, like man houston went hard Shingun played 43 minutes in this game again rockets potentially pushing for point differential at the end as well though it, it ended up being irrelevant but there are scenarios in which it could have been had everyone in the group finished two and two which was a possibility until the pels won later so i, I just thought like Jeff Green only played eight minutes, but was plus 12, had three block shots in like the first four minutes of action that he played. And I've never seen Jeff Green pay that good in team defense 
he was calling out every Denver play. Of course, he was there last year. There's one play that was really notable where they run a cross screen for Aaron Gordon. He's actually all the way up at the top and he calls out, out like what the play is in the switch. Usually you don't have a guy who's like in front of the action like that calling it out, but he knew it was happening. He calls it out. Then he knows Aaron Gordon likes to turn baseline. And so Jeff Green comes all the way down from the top of the floor, blocks Aaron Gordon's layup after he was uh, trying to go through a smaller defender like he enjoys doing so much. And and Houston, they're just hard to play against. There isn't like that guy for Aaron Gordon to just like put in the goal for his easy like three buckets per game if it's not Jalen Green. And Shingun just continues to get better defensively. He is very good just using his chest on defense like he's not a skywalker but he's got good mobility his recognition is really improved a lot of places aren't necessarily showing up in the statue because he's stepping up early with his chest showing his whole body in front of drivers and and forcing passes and or he's uh making decent good verticality plays at the rim as well and Jabari Smith Jr. continues to be pretty solid. Uh, he was actually excellent as a rebounder in this game. So, and then on the other hand, Denver at one point, they were an awful two of 11 from three, 18%. And they were an awful four of 22 from two, an identical Oof. 18% in this game. And so they would get back into it at least a little in the third, but never were truly back in contact. They had a 19-point first quarter and a 17-point fourth quarter, 7-30 from three overall. Reggie Jackson was 1-7 of seven from the field, three assists, six turnovers, negative 26, and earned himself a seat on Mike Malone's bench for basically the entire second quarter when, to start the second quarter, he, this is like your veteran point guard, just ran the ATO wrong. He just like went to the wrong side of the floor and the rookie Julian Strother had to point him to the other side and Mike Malone had called timeout before they would even run the play wrong and uh I, I believe he took Reggie Jackson out right at that time. And so we saw a lot in the second quarter of a group that we're starting to see some of recently where Jokic is like literally the point guard. And so they're just going with like either Christian Brown, they went with Justin Holiday is kind of the smallest guy at times as well. So Michael Malone is really starting to search here. And Aaron Gordon, I mentioned he had a tough game, 39 minutes, 0 for 12 from the field. Yeah. I mean, Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon, who doesn't usually do a lot self-created, but so for Gordon to go 0 for 12 and Reggie Jackson 1 for 7, so that's 1 for 19 combined from two of your starters. And none of the Nugget starters converted more than 50% of their shots from the, of the field. So that actually, I'll go beyond that. No Denver Nugget in the entire game. Holiday's 1 for 2 was the best anyone did. Yeah, really rough shooting uh, everywhere around. For the Nugs, Jalen Green really liked uh, his approach uh, in this game. Uh, he had 25 points, 10 of 18. Really one of his first efficient two-point shooting games. Did it mostly in transition and on cuts. He had back-to-back alley-oops in the fourth quarter. Uh, only had two assists, but one of them was like a beautiful pick-and-roll dime to Shangun for a dunk coming down the lane. Shangun didn't shoot exceedingly well. Part of that was because he still is not really a threat from three. Uh, he's 0 for 4, and he's got a lot on his plate. He had five turnovers, but still was plus 12. And I thought a couple of times, like they cut it to 15 in the fourth, and... Yudoka goes for an ATO where he just has Shingun face up from the the left block against Jokic and blow right by him for a layup. Like he, I've noted how in that Lakers Denver matchup, Anthony Davis's inability to go at Jokic with his quickness and score is kind of a problem, and Jokic's strength bothers him a little bit. Well, Shingun 
didn't really like when they went to him one-on-one against Jokic he got a couple of buckets and that was like being able to have that in your arsenal when you're playing Denver is something that's important yeah Rockets looking really good they are undefeated oh no I'm sorry they've lost one game now at home they are eight and one at home and uh own six uh, on the road and that is where they will play the Dallas Mavericks uh on Tuesday but the last action in this group took place in the last game of the night New Orleans and the Clippers um yeah I guess you didn't watch much of this one either because you're you're at Chase Center we'll talk about that one in a, in yeah, a second I, so. I, I was well so th- it was another one that I was thinking about in the context of the like had a had a real chance and so New Orleans is in an unusual circumstance where because of Denver's loss, because New Orleans beat Denver but lost to the Rockets, you know, those early games that end up looming large because you never know quite who you're going to be squared up with. So New Orleans is in this awkward circumstance where, like, if they win this group, I mean, if they win this game, they go to three and one. And remember that they that I'm trying to remember what the timing you might have a clear. But from what I recall, at least the destiny of Denver Houston was pretty clear by the time this game started how much oh yeah i think it, if it wasn't over it was completely it was close and so from new orleans perspective what that means is yeah the most obvious thing is to take care of business and you'll be in a pretty good position but you have to be prepared for the scenario where if if houston wins their last game if houston beats dallas in dallas then they have the tiebreaker on you and thus you are in the wild card spot and thus so in in one scenario of what can happen from this point your path to advancing in this group or to advancing into the into the quarterfinals is by having the best differential of any second place team but first uh, up was to actually win this game sure against the the clippers although uh yeah the clippers uh, didn't really have a, a path to winning the group even if you did get maximum chaos because their point differential was pretty bad in that loss uh, at dallas new orleans just jumps all over the clippers it's 33 to 12 late in the first quarter it was also brandon ingram 16 clippers 12 Oof. at that point uh it was also rest of team 17 clippers 12 <laughs> at that point uh so i want to take a look actually at that first quarter maybe you can pull that the first quarter Clippers shot chart because everything seemed awful for them it seemed like all contested mid-rangers they just were not getting good shots uh, at all and, and this ties in with what i was saying before about how like the the differential and all of that mattered for the for the pelicans and was that they went out so big and like i was checking on the score yeah so the Clippers shot chart in the first quarter they only took one shot in the restricted area did make it three of six from the upper paint four of six from mid-range they missed six corner threes all six they were 0 for six from corner threes and two and two of ten on threes overall yeah i guess so six corner threes is pretty decent i mean the the pals we've talked about this when we did their game on monday that they don't have great rim protectors so their strategy is that they're going to pack the paint and they're going to force the other team to beat them with threes and outside of paul george and Kawhi leonard at times maybe a norman powell here or there Clippers don't shoot it well terrence mann was passing up a bunch of shots he finally hit a pretty deep one in the fourth quarter as the clips were trying to make an abortive run back meanwhile they start zubats you know james harden had these quotes like oh yeah i I just you know i had to rewire my brain because you know i the last year i haven't taken any spot up threes like dude you played next to joel Embiid for two years like you made a spot up three-pointer to win a playoff game last year like come on dude (laughs) 
<laughs> like this this idea that like they were talking about you making more spots when you first went to the nets it, this idea that this is a new thing is completely insane uh clippers started terrence Mann on zion that did not work at all uh they also had a, a bunch of moments where like you know it was norm powell trying to guard brandon ingram and again like if you're you just part of the reason you got james harden is to me at least is well now you can free up paul george and Kawhi leonard to do more defensively like if you if you're three and your four man like can't guard either brandon ingram or zion williamson that that makes things difficult for you and i thought that that that, that was kind of part of the problem those guys Kawhi did guard brandon ingram a little bit uh, later on uh, although they gave up switches uh, off of him pretty easily. Uh, second quarter, Clips get back into it and uh, actually take the lead early third. Zion was playing in traffic a lot. Uh, the big difference was they brought P.J. Tucker in the game. And, of course, that's going to hurt your spacing, uh, as we, we'll talk about. But, like, his matchup against Zion for late in that second quarter was incredible theater. Right? I mean, there are so few people that you feel like P.J. Tucker is not going to be stronger than. And I was like, well, let's see what's going to happen here with Zion. And P.J. Tucker, like, he is neat, right? Like, he was pretty decent against Jokic. Yeah, he hurts their spacing. But, like, he, they don't have anyone else really who can guard like a Jokic. They don't have anyone else who can really guard Zion. I still, I would have thought about possibly trying to put Zubats on on Zion. But then you you maybe are letting Valanchunas get loose. And you've got to have Kawhi guard Valanchunas, which he doesn't want to do either. Uh, so, but yeah, P.J. was able to uh, take a charge on Zion. Zion got a foul on him, but it, it really, you know, it wasn't as easy for Zion as it was at other times. Clippers start P.J. Tucker in the second half and take a brief lead, but then Russell Westbrook comes in. They had Westbrook played only 14 minutes tonight. And well, I, I cackled because we're, you know, tracking the box score at, at we, meaning me and the people I was sitting here, tracking the box score at Chase. And Westbrook comes in and takes three shots in five minutes and then comes out and like, oh, okay, we think we know how that went. Or yeah. five well, shots I mean, they, they are leaving him open. You know, I, I think like, I'm not going to tell you that Westbrook is like, the problem is that he's like dominating the ball and taking too many shots necessarily from, from what I've seen. I think, you know, you are probably going to play him less. I mean, their problem is they couldn't score in this game, right? Like that's true. And, you know, he does help to juice the pace, but that wasn't really a particularly salient aspect for them in this game. And, you know, to keep in mind also the clips are basically eliminated at this point in the group. So they're treating this more like a just regular, regular season game, whereas the Pels treating it more like an in-season tournament game, you would think, although I, I do have a criticism on that, which we'll get to. And so, yeah, Westbrook was one of eight, negative eight in 14 minutes and O of two from three. You know, but and there are a couple of like, you know, tough contested shots that he took, but he's out there with P.J. Tucker and Zubats. At the same time, like that's just not going to work with Westbrook. And they just, they, even with bringing Westbrook to the bench, it's just really hard to find lineups. Like he and Paul George have a pretty decent chemistry, and George was 14 of 30 from the field in this game. Uh, Had it going early and then kind of tailed off late. He really did most of his damage in the fourth quarter in transition. Like in the half court, they really weren't able to get much going uh, and ended up 11 of 37 from downtown. But yeah, and but Norm Powell certainly should play more than Westbrook, and Harden did nothing off. Offensively, he was two for eight from the field, uh, had 10 assists and four steals, but really just didn't do anything in, in pick and roll the way you, you would hope against 
you know, it's like a, a Valanchunas type of team. Now, the fact that the Clippers don't have any shooting and we're just being forced to bomb away from the outside, the Pels, like, they, they do a really good, like, they are very disciplined. I mean, that's the biggest takeaway that I have from, I mean, I think I've watched probably four of the Pels' last five games at this point, just due to circumstance, and they have good perimeter defenders, and they're also disciplined. They execute the scheme, and they say, hey, we're going to just, like, make you beat us from the outside. We're not going to give up both rim and threes. We'll give up threes, and, hey, another team just shoots like shit uh, from the outside against the Pels, so it, it's been working right now. They've had a very impressive stretch here. They have. And um, anything anything else on this game, or should I get to... Or No, we should just set up the ending. Yeah, well, so... It was still pretty close. I think it was tied like at 91. Pels go on a big run to bump it up to double digits, mostly through Herb Jones. Herb Jones, his run starts out. He's handling and pick and roll with Zion as the screener. And they go under, as you would expect with that, and Herb Jones bangs a three. And then you run it back again. Herb Jones on the left side of the floor, attacks in pick and roll, goes through Avica Zubats and gets like a left-handed layup or runs Avica Zubats, pretty good rim protector. And then Brandon Ingram comes back in the game. They load up towards him. Herb is uh, on the opposite side of the floor. He bangs a three, gets a personal 8-0 run. Maybe maybe the Clips scored a little bit, but he scored eight points in a row for the Pels, and that really gave them a lead that they weren't going to relinquish. Uh, And I thought it was interesting. They closed with Dyson Daniels, Herb Jones, Larry Nance, and the two stars, although it took a while to get to that lineup. Uh, And Clips had a couple of threes to cut it to three, don't end up getting there in the end. It was, but it never really got, the Clips never had the ball with the chance to to tie it or or take the lead late in the fourth and i appreciate you adding in the context that while, while this game didn't affect the clippers place in the in-season tournament in all likelihood they're that they functionally eliminated it still is a regular season game that counts and they're still below 500 you know a game that they really still wanted to win and then you know you want to probably have a little bit of have a little bit of pride too yeah i mean they were three and oh since russ went to the bench so that it's uh, but yeah, they just didn't look good in this one. And the offense just, even in these games that they're winning, like you, they should be, if you really believe in what this team is, like they should be having like dominant offensive games and they're just not there at all at this point. And it's all they're fi- figuring out their roles. Like, all right, Harden's getting a little better chemistry with Leonard. Like they're not running pick and roll, but like they'll run a little like kind of old school two man game where it's like enter the post, kick out, enter the post again. But yeah, I mean, I mean, I sit, they're still trying to figure out the roles. I get it, but they just don't like. I just don't understand what the path is from a math standpoint for them to be efficient enough to really like dominate on the offensive end. They've got some good defensive players like Man and George and Leonard and Zubats. I mean, that's four pretty damn good defenders in your starting lineup, and they got Tucker as well. But you know, like this, this is not a team that is built to have their defense be better than their offense if they want to really go anywhere. Agreed. So what then? for the end of this one because the Pels knowing that the Rockets had won knew that they could not win the group even with a victory tonight they would have to rely on the Mavs to beat Houston which they will probably be favored to do on Tuesday but Houston will have more incentive in that game than the Mavs because the Mavs are out in the group it'll just be another regular season game for them made pretty interesting end of the game right because you have this incentive for the leading team who also happens to be the visiting team and I I think there is an element of that as well to pour it on that even if they felt like the victory was secured like phoenix did to push that margin up to maximize your chances of making the second round or of the quarterfinals well and 
I mean, the Pell is led by 13 with a, a couple of Brandon Ingram scores with 530 remaining. And then the Clips uh, go on this nice run. There's even a backcourt turnover when that Terrence Mann steals. And Paul George misses a three off of that. That could have cut it to three. Paul Kawhi Leonard missed a, a he airballed a three that could have cut it to through 238 remaining. And then the Pels still were only up four with 53.1 left. Zion gets the ball back. He, they actually, this is interesting too. I should have mentioned this. They've got James Harden actually guarding Zion, which in their closing lineup, that actually kind of makes sense. Sure. Because he was the guy who had the most bulk. They didn't want to play Tucker and they probably felt they needed Zubats to guard Balanchunas and be a backup room protector. And Zion might also be too quick for Zoo. And so Harden has the ball. He, they did okay. Like the they're shrinking the floor pretty well against the Pels. So I mentioned what their closing lineup is. <laughs> Not exactly a ton of spacing there either. Uh, I think they ultimately had. Well, they made, yeah they made an offense defense sub at that point, but uh, to take out Zion with 34 seconds left. But so Zion goes right through James Harden, but misses the layup. Harden falls down trying to draw a call, and that leaves Zion able to just get the offensive board, push it to six, basically end the game from a win loss standpoint. And you know he gives a nice little look down at Harden, like yeah yeah you flopped, that's right, you get up. And they get a stop going down the other end. Clippers foul Najee Marshall. He makes two free throws. And then Clippers miss another three. Najee Marshall gets the rebound. They push it up. And Larry Nance gets a dunk. Like, you can see everyone like, okay, we'll dribble it out. And Larry Nance is like, no, I'm running down the floor. Everyone yells. They give it to him. He gets a dunk to push it to 10. But it would not quite be enough. No, because a 10-point victory pushes the Pelicans' combined point differential to a plus 33. And if you're remembering from earlier, the Suns are at a plus 34. So there now, is... Now, yeah, but Suns do have the tiebreaker of the tiebreaker <laughs> because they've scored more points. But So they would have needed to score two more points. Two more. I, was, I was sad to learn that uh, going for a three and making it wouldn't have actually given them the, uh, given them the group. But oh well. No, it would not have. So New Orleans can still advance like they can advance by the Mavericks beating the Rockets nothing else they can do can help in there if it ends up being that they finish second in the group they will not advance and for Houston they are by virtue of their own win more so than New Orleans they're in control of their own destiny in terms of advancing out of this if they win at Dallas they're through yeah now it would take uh, a road win which has escaped them thus far this season but yeah good to see a, a Dallas Houston game that actually matters for the first time in a while ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness he works with a virtual reality training platform developed by fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need the result more confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets. 
from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace user in our capspace we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 dollars or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us so we had all these clinching scenarios, basically. Boston could have clinched East Group C by winning. Denver could have actually clinched the group by winning and New Orleans losing. But that obviously, neither of those things happened. Denver is now out completely. Too bad. Uh, that was the... I, I will not did, pat did, myself on the back for because that was my pick to win the whole thing. So same. Did, didn't know that Jamal Murray would would be out still. He's supposedly close, but him him missing uh, the last like two three weeks uh, hasn't been good for their chances. And then what of West Group C, where Minnesota could have clinched the group with a win over Sacramento, and they were playing actually their first home game on a beautiful light blue court against the Sacramento Kings. A game clearly pretty clearly for control of the group as you mentioned minnesota could have won the group with a win and sacramento it would make it significantly easier for them to do so They're, they required some help theoretically to to do it themselves and sacramento had a a big early run um one of the key stretches of this game for me was uh late in the first quarter chris finch pulls gobert and towns at the same time i think it's about mm. four minutes left and i I believe that the the town's pulling might have been foul related. He picked I think he picked up a second right as Gobert was about to go into his schedule rest. And Sacramento takes and makes three threes in a row, and it should have been four, possibly five. But they had one where, like, they were passing it to an open guy, and they just threw it. And I, I might have been Monk threw it at his feet instead of in his hands, and so it would have been a wide open three. And then the next time down, they they got one that just missed, and so that helped push the margin up. Now Minnesota kept deciding it, and remember, this is a game that isn't like the Clippers fighting for pride. There are real incentives for Minnesota to win this game yeah as you mentioned they could have clinched the group and maybe even been in position although they still have a game left against oklahoma city who uh is in season tournament seems like they're kryptonite but the, i think that they're, they're a pretty darn good team uh, oh, and that's but, who they play on, but, on Tuesday, before we but, before yeah. we get more into the meat of the game i wanted to mention then they'll yeah. connect this to a different game there was a fascinating challenge by chris finch late in the second mm. where basically what happened was it was uh troy brown jr knocked a ball and and sabonis had it and it looked 
when I saw it live, I'm like, oh, that ball's obviously off Sabonis. And they ruled that it was King's ball. And so Finch uses his challenge on the idea of, you know, like with the, this is probably one of the ripple effects of the second challenge of like, sure. well, if it's a 100% or close to it situation, then yeah, you, you do lose something because you lose the ability to challenge twice, but you can switch a possession and, and everything else. However, to the surprise of me and obviously to Chris Finch, the, it did hit off Sabonis, but the referees ruled that it hit, I, I believe that it hit Troy Brown's hand after it hit Sabonis's leg. So they lost the seemingly 100% challenge and thus could not challenge the rest of the game. It ended up not mattering. The game wasn't close enough, but I was just like, oh, that's why you don't challenge these 100% or like close to 100% necessarily ones early if it's relatively low upside. Yeah. Now, generally, if you look at the types of challenges that are most often successful, out of bounds are. So if you just look at the type of challenge that might be likely get you another one, that is it. Uh, so, but yeah, that's uh, certainly, we haven't talked much about the whole second challenge and the strategy behind that. But yeah, I think that's uh, definitely something to consider. Meanwhile, the Kings go crazy early. At one point, they're 11 to 17 from three. And they've got about a 20 point lead through much of the second quarter. Wolves roar back and actually ultimately end up outscoring the Kings in the second quarter to get within six at halftime. And you felt like, all right, Wolves are at home. Kings are shooting the shit out of it. Like they're 11, 17. They're not at one point. They're not even up by that much. So Minnesota, like now that the shooting luck is starting to normalize, like Minnesota is going to roll in the second half. And they do get within two, 72-70 early in the quarter. Nikhil Alexander-Walker started this game in place of the injured Jaden McDaniels. And although he didn't have the greatest offensive game, I thought like he had one of the better defensive efforts that I've seen from him. He's still a little bit thin, but he definitely is starting to embrace the defense first role that you and I always envisioned for him low those many years ago. And was doing a really nice job uh, of getting into the Kings ball handlers, getting deflections. He had two steals as they were making their run. And unfortunately for the Wolves, once they get within two, they score two points in the next six minutes. So, and the Kings defense, I was very impressed with how well they played after they had gotten pretty beat up in their set that they lost in New Orleans. They had a nice trap on Anthony Edwards at half court where he was forced to call timeout. Uh, they really took advantage in the second half of the Wolves' lack of spacing with some of the lineups they were throwing out there. You know, Troy Brown Jr. played a lot. Kyle Anderson actually didn't play that much. He was negative 24 in part because I think the Kings did a really nice job uh, of packing the paint when he was in there. They also scored scored much more easily when Gobert uh, was out of the game. They had some nice pushes through De'Aaron Fox, who had 36 points on 32 shots and 12 assists in this game. He was the best player on the floor tonight. Uh, they had a signature give up a layup, but De'Aaron Fox gets a dunk two seconds later sequence in the first half and i thought chris duarte did a pretty nice job on anthony edwards anthony edwards did shoot 18 free throws which i'm pretty sure is a career high and was plus five in 40 minutes in a game that they lost by 13 <laughs> uh, and, and he had 35 points so it wasn't his fault but i thought duarte in a spot start in the absence of keegan murray who's out with this back issue and that, that'll be something to monitor uh particularly as we go into the the big game on tuesday 
Tuesday against Golden State, but Duarte gave them enough minutes, even though he did pretty much nothing uh, on offense. Trey Lyles was plus 15. Uh, I thought he he took all three or all six of his shots from three in 19 minutes, but he was really bombing it. I think they missed his contributions off the bench. Kessler Edwards uh, also gave them some good defensive contributions on his namesake, Anthony Edwards, and uh, also hit a couple of threes himself. Like his shot really looks better. Like he looks like he actually might be a decent rotation guy. And Malik Monk uh, made every shot going right and none of his shots going left, <laughs> but he, <laughs> he, he was pretty solid as well. Now the Wolves did miss a couple of wide open threes. Uh, another, there are just some like nice little tactics that the Kings had ready. One of them was even if it was like Duarte or Harrison Barnes, who usually isn't involved in this action, if Carl Towns was guarding a guy, they would actually like look to involve that guy in the handoff action with Sabonis, and because Carl Towns is never going to get through a screen on a play like that, so you could kind of get him loose headed downhill. Gobert still caused problems for them defensively, but that was a, a nice wrinkle they were setting. Another thing that they did to deal with Gobert to free Fox was setting the screens way up high even setting that like four man and the five man setting the screen at half court getting fox going downhill fox hit a couple of big threes in the second quarter when they went under on him so that kind of opened his game up a little bit more uh and there were just a lot of wolves driving into traffic and you could just see it was palpable the way the kings were packing the paint and just forcing the wolves to beat him from the outside and they just couldn't during that period so the kings are up by 13 at the end of the quarter and then were able to basically control it throughout the fourth and uh deer and fox did get a layup to push the final margin to 13 in the last 10 seconds so that that was enjoyable i love these teams playing to the end so sacramento all of a sudden in pretty good position they are and in a kind of styles mix fights front with this one i found it because you and i did kings the did kings pelicans the first of their two games the one where fox had a far worse performance he was five of 18 from the field missed a ton of threes where new orleans packed the paint against sacramento challenged them to make a bunch of jump shots and and the Kings missed it. And then in this one, largely for personnel reasons, the Kings tried a similar tactic against the Wolves and had success on it. And that's just the way these things can go sometimes. And I mean, Sacramento playing Herder Duarte, even though Duarte didn't have his best shooting game. And then Fox, who was hitting who was hitting his threes reasonably well, yeah, the the disparity there. But for me, the biggest story of this one was just without Jaden McDaniels, Minnesota not really having anyone that did a particularly good job on Fox. And how aggressively Minnesota was going under, I was noticing it mostly in the second quarter, on Fox, even when Edwards was the primary, where it's just like, you think he could probably get through it. And at that point, Fox had hit a couple of threes, but that's just not the strategy they were going to. Yeah, they missed McDaniel. I think they've, when they've looked dominant this season, it's been when he's been available. And I don't know that, particularly given the small role that McDaniels has, that he's so much better of an offensive player than like an Alexander Walker or Troy Brown Jr., who's getting minutes now in that spot, or Anderson, who, as I mentioned, has role minimized a little bit in this one. But like those guys, and Anderson's not really like a get over a screen on ball guy. Like the the fit between McDaniel's and Gobert is so good because McDaniel's can go over the screen, still has the length to bother the guys mid ranger, and then you also have Gobert waiting at the rim. So yeah, they've looked a little more ordinary when McDaniel's uh, has been out, and they play other guys who are about the same as him on offense, but aren't really like difference they're like okay on defense like they're not going to get destroyed but they're not difference makers the way mcdaniels is 
So with that context, Wolves could have won the group. Golden State had some life again against San Antonio. A game was on national TV. Victor Wembanyama, you were in attendance. And Golden State against the Spurs team that had lost 10 straight coming in. You felt like, all right, they got some incentive to really run up the score. They finally actually won a game at home against Houston. Then they got killed by Phoenix on Wednesday from their first road game in a while. So the pump was primed for like, all right, let's see what kind of point differential they can run up here. And that is absolutely not what happened in the, (laughs) I was going to say that the nightcap, I mean, started out and the Warriors went up four, four zero and like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe that is where it's going to go. And then when Banyama drills a three to make it 11 to four, it ends up, I, the, the Spurs led by 10 in the first quarter. And then I think they had a, they, they built a lead back up in the second that was close to that. And for the for the Warriors, I thought that the one of the biggest things that that they did poorly was and this is a criticism of Steve Kerr that is not new, is that I don't think they tailored what they were doing. And some of this is Draymond not being available. They started Moses Moody in a set, so they went smaller to the weaknesses of San Antonio. Like San Antonio's has this starting five where their offensive rating is just truly abysmal. They don't really have much in the way of shooting because, and particularly right now because Vassell's coming back from this injury, Vassell did play significant minutes. He did play very well, but he didn't start. And other than Zach Collins somehow taking seven threes, which was inconceivable to me, they all looked terrible. I mean, he's been better at times than he was in this game shooting that shot on the season. He's about 30% now, but the Warriors weren't really, you know, they weren't packing the paint. They weren't challenging that sort of stuff. Like they were the guys they were leaving open were the guys who could shoot. And then that really carried over. Like even, even though they missed their looks, McDermott and Osman had some wide open threes. McDermott got some yeah. twos. Osman got the twos. And so I really didn't like the defensive process from the Warriors. And then they compounded that. And the Spurs deserve credit for some of this as well with turning the ball over a, a metric ton of times. The Warriors turned it over 24 times, 10 of which were live ball. And so, and some of those were forced. Some of those were were nice plays and they got spooked by Wemby a number of different times. But some of them were just like throwing the ball to a guy on the break who's not even looking and it flies out of bounds. And that sort of sloppiness, like it, it has real ramifications when the margin of victory in some ways is, I mean, is more determinative. Is, it matters almost as much as the result. And the result ended up being in danger late. Now, it was one of those games that got close, but it didn't seem like the Spurs never got a shot in the air to tie, much less to take the lead. But the Warriors could have done so much better than they did in a game where they shot 46% from three. The Spurs shot 25% from three because they just like did a couple of, did some fundamental stuff wrong. Yeah. I don't know that the, the Warriors actually played better than the Spurs. They didn't in this game. And yeah, I mean, you know, 12, 47 San Antonio doesn't have these amazing shoes, but like they're giving up a lot of open. Like Jetty Osmond's not like a terrible shooter, right? Like he, he was one of six on some very open looks. Now, you know, the Zach Collins three point shooting. Okay. You know, he he and Wemby going a combined one of 13 like all right I can understand that's the game plan to let those guys shoot a little bit rest of team Uh, 11 of 34 much better (laughs) but one thing that was uh, to back up your point on the turnovers 
the Warriors had 24 turnovers, but only 10 steals for the Spurs. So a lot of these turnovers were just illegal screens. Andrew Wiggins has set roughly 97 illegal on-ball screens this season. Like he he and Chris Paul in particular is just like an instant illegal screen whenever those guys interact with each other. Like I don't know if it's Paul going too early or Wiggins you know, needs to like realize when he can't set the screen and slip well, out and of it, it or something, and, but and, it's awful. And a ton from Gary Payton as well, who yeah. just that's the way that he's not like a big is just understanding the timing. Like he, he tries to be more aggressive with his screening, not understanding that everything he's doing to try to make more contact is exactly what the referees look for and actually call for screening. So like you're well outside the cone of your body, you extend your arms and the angle that, that we sit at and at chase generally, depending on the angle of the screen, usually I'm seeing, I'm like, Oh, that's an illegal screen. And like, and, and to the point where you're not like, Oh, that's an illegal screen because like holding in the NFL exists on every play but like oh this is exactly the one they're going to call and then they call it you're like okay that's not a really a big surprise a one weird yeah, well and gary he's been a good screener in the past but yeah i agree with you this year he's been sure setting too many illegal ones and and trace action davis had one as well um but the there were a couple of tactical elements of this game that were a little bit surprising so one of them was there were stretches where Wembenyama was on the floor and the base lineup like we saw in that preseason game that you and i gushed all over where the in the base alignments, Wemanyama was guarding Wiggins and basically defending half the floor. And that was some of that was really fun to watch. And that's also part of why the Warriors deployed Wiggins as a screener, that in the absence of Draymond Green due to suspension. However, when they got into some of those lineups that were mixed of starters and backups, they Popovich often put Wemanyama on Dario Sharch. And there are two big problems with that. One is Sharch is significantly more involved in the screening action. And while Wembenyama is a talented switch defender and I think is continuing to improve on that end, it takes away that whole theory of what they were doing defensively. If he can he can help, he can do all this stuff. Because if he's in the screening action, then you have to make decisions. You might have to switch. You might have to recover. However, you're going to handle that. And two, there were times where Wembenyama was playing out that scheme or was stay, staying with the driver or the the role man or the, the the ball handler and then Sharich is just getting wide open for three and he made four of his seven on his way to 20 points in 26 minutes and in a lot of those lineups Jonathan Kaminga was just standing right there and Kaminga actually had a couple of good finishes in this game but it just I was just like you have the equivalent of what you were just doing out there why are you changing from what worked and I didn't have a good explanation for how or why that happened. Yeah, I, I continue to think that Wembenyama, when he's in position, does a pretty good job. Although I, I thought there were times actually when the Warriors had some success attacking, like Kaminga coming down the lane had one. Uh, I still think too that Wembenyama just, I wish his first read on every single play was, I'm going to overhelp. Like, I want them to get him like overhelping. And I think this whole playing with the four thing and like trying to teach him the four. And yeah, he's like incredible, like closing out and blocking threes and stuff. And, and yeah, when he switches on to someone on the perimeter like guys will kind of try to take him Steph got switched on to him at one point and or he got switched on to Steph and Steph has like really rushes three and, and when we almost got he didn't that's not an advantage matchup for Steph Curry at all but I still think that he could just be so incredibly powerful as a rim protector that to me uh, my first thing would be let's get that as a foundation because a perimeter defender kind of only does so much like, let's let's have him where he's affecting every single shot around the rim first 
and then we can work on this uh, perimeter game a, a little bit more defensively. Um, oh, I'll, I'll give an yeah. anecdote from from pregame as well. So I this was the first time I've been able to watch Webinyama like really warm up, you know, like from four level since yeah. I saw him in France. And his so his, his shot mechanically, like mechanically, it looks good, like it comes off. But he was like the first set he was shooting on the on uh, I to his side, the right side of the four. And like his threes looking a little bit shaky, you know, like, you know, everything else in this and then and so he took some free throws you know kind of going through the going through the reps it was a longer longer pregame than some guys do and then he goes to the so i'm like oh you know not feeling as good about that even though it looked pretty good coming off his hands most of the time then he goes to the the other side of the floor and he misses one and then he swishes 10 threes in a row and you're like oh shit (laughs) like it's not coming (laughs) yet but the and some of those were on movement like it was him like kind of mocking coming off a screen and you're like oh okay okay and like it's going to take time for that to materialize in terms of like being on the floor but i and i still you know you could listen to the really long scout we did on him i still think that when binyama what makes him special is is the defense and that the offense is more of a curiosity than like dominance but you saw some of that and you're like oh they could do that and and also like so many players in the league in flawed situations like kate cunningham we talked about a lot recently and I talked about a ton with Kevin Pelton too, is this circumstance. And then this Spurs starting lineup, especially until Vassell gets back into the starting lineup, so little shooting. And like, there are some of these elements that would look a lot better if you had like, I don't know, three guys on your, uh, three teammates for Wemby that the other guy team had to guard. Yeah. And there was a moment uh, in, late in the third. And then also as they tried to make a comeback where they put like four real shooters, not even like Sohan at the four, but like four real shooters around Wembenyama and that didn't really get a chance to make it look that interesting that they missed a bunch of threes during that stretch uh, as well. A couple other notes uh, on this one, you know, Zach Collins kept trying, not only did he go 0 for 7 from 3, but he also tried to like keep posting up on Kevon Looney, which I just like, can they just stop throwing in the ball? They're like, all right, fine. Mismatch, deep seal, where he can go immediately into a hook shot without having to dribble. All about that. Very good. Sounds great. Throwing in the ball 16 feet from the basket against the other center? No, absolutely not. Uh, Spurs did destroy the Warriors in offensive rebounds, particularly down the end. Golden State actually led this by 15 with 225 left. And you thought, and Steve Kerr even said, yeah, we talked about it. That is point differential. We wanted to go for that, try to boost that up some. Now you probably could have gone with more minutes for Steph Curry than 35. Like, But they were, they started the fourth quarter pretty well after giving up a 9-0 run to end the third. Like they had many moments in this game where it looked like they're just going to completely blow the doors off the Spurs, but they all, they gave up 10-0, 9-0, and 11-0 runs to the Spurs, the latter of which occurred starting with 225 left that actually made it interesting down the end. They ended up winning by six in part because there was some intentional fouling late by the Spurs as they tried to get back into it. And those were basically but, yeah. all of Steph Curry's free throws. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but, but they, I think, you know, maybe they were just, uh, and they had four turnovers in a row during that stretch. They did. So, yeah, not the best way to run up the score. <laughs> if you're, be, and, and they really could have benefited uh, from that in the end. The door was open in a couple of different ways for the Warriors, one of which was 
you know, that they could they could put a number up there enough that if they even if they had this, they beat the Kings that and things broke differently and they could finish second. They could have been in position to pass the Suns plus 34 that we've been bringing up so much. That is basically out the window. The Warriors would have to beat the Kings by 28 to make that happen. It's that and in sack, that's that's not going to be the case. Uh, Sorry, no, they'd, yeah, have they'd, have have they'd have to yeah. win by 30. They'd have to win by, well, I, I'd have to, depending on the total point scored um and so now the warriors because of because of the point differential stuff they need not only do they need to win but they probably need some help like the the cleanest way for it to go is for them to beat sacramento and then for the wolves to lose again to oklahoma city who would be doing it as a spoiler now it is a regular season game but and and we know that or at least it looks like minnesota is going to be without mcdaniels but because of the the margin not being enough like they probably can't get through as the wild card revenge game for okc too after losing the play in in minnesota and that's right and completely blown out uh, by the way in doing so and that that will be i can't wait for that game that's going to be a fascinating strategic game with now chat the oklahoma city spacing but also the way they love to attack the basket they don't actually take that many threes even though they do space the floor uh so really interested to see how that looks on Tuesday. That'll be a big game. I and mean, Wolves still in it. They will be rooting, though, for Golden State to get into a three-way tie. Although, yeah, the Wolves, they're probably done, aren't they? Like, they don't really, because if they, the only way they can get into it is a three-way tie, right? Because Sacramento is a tiebreaker over them. So Sacramento wins their 4-0 in the group, but Wolves are done. Wolves have a negative three differential right now, which is actually worse than Golden State's. And Right, and, and remember that in a three-way tie, no team has has the pure win. And so the Wolves the Wolves would have to beat the Thunder by significantly more than the Warriors beat the Kings, and it would have to be a big enough number where they get past Sacramento's plus 29, though this is presuming Sacramento loses. So Yeah, I mean, they, a, they've got like, you know, a 1% chance of winning the group still in Minnesota. So this is a pretty disastrous loss. Yeah, and they have, and they the they would have to demolish the Thunder, like, you know, to in order to get even close to the Suns. Yeah, yeah, they would have to beat them by uh, 38 points. So, yeah, this was a disastrous loss, particularly because they didn't really score at all, uh, particularly because they their point differential was so bad. I mean, Sacramento's plus 29, and, I mean, in all likelihood, if Sacramento loses by enough to lower their own point differential by a lot, then Golden State is plus eight on the Wolves. They'll they would, so Golden State and the Kings are both ahead of the Wolves at this point. So yeah, they're probably done in the group, which is too bad. Um, but they also still you know need to win again because this is a regular season game. That's the beauty of this. It's like all right, they're probably done, but hey, they still want to win. And you know if they can, the Wolves winning could make things interesting uh, for the other two teams uh, as well. But if you're Golden State, you really you're rooting for the Thunder because if the Thunder win then all golden state has to do is win in sacramento and draymond green's return game to actually win the group uh, uh, amazingly and recall of course that golden state wolves game that was like the rudy gobert chokeout game that got green suspended to begin with and the wolves barely ended up winning that game in the end with a great rudy gobert and Carl Towns' performance. All right, so are we, we done here in the West then? I, I want to set a couple of things with the West. I mean, you could argue that the biggest winner of the whole day of games on Friday is the Phoenix Suns because the Suns, path, yeah. the Suns pathway to making it through is pretty clear now. It's not 100%, but they 
they have a really good shot at this. And I, I mean, it would take something completely insane for them to not win it. It would. Right? And I, I, I mean, it would take like the Wolves or Warriors, you know, winning by 30 or something like that. And I, I'm more than 30 even in some cases. And I mean, so so, yeah, that is a that is a striking development. And for the Suns who lost their first game, kept on fighting, kept and pushed the margins. And if, if they had pushed the margins even slightly less, then they would not be in the position they're in right now. And I mean, f- what a disappointment for Denver in Group B. Sure. They start 2-0. and They beat the Clippers and the Mavs, who we thought would be their biggest competition. And then they got pretty darn well smoked in back-to-back games against the Pels and the Rockets to be 2-2 two and two and just totally out of it, which is too bad to, for the league's best player to not even make the quarterfinals. But, I mean, they're just, they're not playing well, particularly uh, on the road where they lost uh, both of these two games. So now we can pivot back to the Eastern Conference. And I will let you, I have a place that I'd like to go, but I will let you choose where we go. <laughs> All right, well, we talked about Group C already. Let's just finish up with Group A quickly, and then we can get to the rather interesting situation in Group B. Pacers complete a 4-0 romp over Group A, that amazing game against the Hawks on Tuesday, which is maybe the game of the year so far. And then this one, it was actually tied at 106. Pacers close it on a 30-7 run against Detroit. Didn't really catch that much of this one, but they finish up plus 39. They are four and zero. Oh. So they also they, they clinched yeah. they clinched hosting a quarterfinal game. Yes, yes. Now it depends. Really, the the only team that can be a fly in their ointment for being the number one seed is the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, I, I'll let you take over here. You said there was somewhere you you wanted to to go, so I, sure. I will. Uh, well, and and the other the other result that we can just touch on briefly: both the Raptors and the Bulls had been eliminated already in East Group C by virtue of. T- uh, they each had two losses going into Friday. The Raptors ended up dispatching the Bulls in Toronto, 121-108. OG Ananobi had 26 points. Zach Levine had 36 in a loss, um, an efficient 36 in a loss, and definitely appearing to be not a fan of the NBA Cup. DeMar DeRozan had 19 points on 7-16 from the field. So that one, it didn't really, you know, it didn't really move the needle too much. But in the sake of completeness, we can do that. No, I I would like to discuss briefly, though, what happened with Daryl because it's hilarious. Go ahead. Number one, I've always, you like Jordan Clarkson had an incident with this years ago. Like, I've always thought this whole, oh, man, like, how dare you, like, attempt to keep playing basketball against us is just, it's such fake tough guy bullshit where it's just like, of all the things that you as an NBA basketball player can spend your time getting angry and pissed off about, it's something like that when like, you know, you just got blown out and like, this is what you're going to focus on instead of, hey, like, maybe we shouldn't lose by 30. But Pascal Siakam is told by the bench, hey, go for go for a three. They're up by, I think, 13 late on the last possession. Shot clock is off. He goes for it. DeRozan then starts getting heated with Darko Ryakovic, uh, the Raptors coach. Ryakovic was telling Siakam to go for it. Apparently, neither Siakam nor Ryakovic knew that they were actually eliminated for the in-season tournament. Ryakovic was saying, hey, in-season tournament. And DeMar even is though, yelling even at Even though him. that happened before this game. Like, it, it, was, yeah. it happened before today. 
Yeah, but whatever. I mean, it's, sure. you know, it's still in-season tournament. Like, they've been told it, it matters. Like, these guys follow the news like everyone else. Like, this is in this tournament. That's the culture, in theory, that, that you go for it. So, Damar gets thrown out with, you know, one second left after drawing with Ryakovich. And, you know, he his statement was, like, if it was him, he still wouldn't go for it. Uh, I don't care about no in-season tournament points or none of that. Just respect for the game. And uh, then Alex Caruso also got his foot stepped on by Kobe White, his teammate, and wasn't able to return. Bulls are in big trouble here. They're 5-12. and 12. If Caruso is going to miss more time, it's really tough for them to win games without him. Anyway, they were just blown out pretty much this whole game. It got, only got as close as 7 in the 4th very briefly. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All that is prologue for the wildness in in Group B. And what I like, we'll, we'll go through. No, I, I don't want to spoil. I, I'll tell my story of what happened with this game afterwards. We can talk about the the, the context of, of Heat, Knicks before, and then I'll tell my funny story about it. Yeah, it looked like the Heat were completely in control of this one at various points. They got out to a good start. Uh, they're up in the high teens after the third quarter. I mean, I, I have some notes from the early part of this game. I didn't see most of the fourth because I, I was pretty locked in on Denver and Houston, I think, uh, at that point. Uh, the court was orange. The ball is also orange, in case you weren't aware. I, I actually thought that the red courts make it harder to see the ball than this orange court did. I think it was actually it was totally fine. Uh, the Heat are going to be without Drew Smith, who in garbage time against Cleveland jumped for a closeout and apparently i'd never realized this in cleveland's court the chairs on the side of the bench are actually like lower like the floor is raised up and that's the case in most arenas that the floor is raised up by a couple inches but you know it goes all the way behind the bench and that's where there's a reason like they're called floor seats so they're actually on the floor cleveland eric's supposed to have been saying this is like a danger for years apparently so it was a grisly injury because he jumps in the air lands you know basically kind of on the seat but like his right foot lands under the seat but like that part is way lower like many inches lower and he got a a third degree sprain of his acl which is basically means you got to have acl surgery and so he's out for the year so that that really sucks and yes they should absolutely fix that because i think it's the only court that's like that that is a that is a real it it it, it's your your message on it and watching it immediately inspired me to walk out at chase center and make sure that it wasn't that way it reminded me of an even more perilous version of the final four courts that have existed the last few years where it's basically like if you step off the court it's like you're falling off a cliff um because it's because and because it's rare enough i mean i've been to a fair amount of nba arenas including cleveland though i I haven't been on the floor for game action ever there 
um, it's it, that's extremely dangerous. Like I watched that clip and I'm like, this shouldn't exist. Yeah. So so that that's a real bummer because you know another guy that the Heat were trying to develop to develop, but uh, over time he's been in their system for a little bit. Uh, Haywood Highsmith actually starts this one for Miami. They are had been six and one without Tyler Hero coming in. Amazing how that that works. Uh, Caleb Martin is, is still working his way back. Uh, he didn't play that much; only entered late in the first. Jaime Jaquez has been very interesting coming off the bench. I think we'll probably focus on him in the fifteen and sixty. One of us will. Uh, but not his greatest moment. Negative 18 in this one. 6 of 17 from the field. 1 of 6 from 3. 17 is a lot of shot attempts for Jaime Jaquez. He lost this one from the three-point line. They were 10 out of 37. Uh, and their bench was 2 out of 17 from three. Kyle Lowry actually had 28 points the other night. Uh, he came back to earth a little bit, but he's been playing well. He played 33 minutes. They started Josh Richardson to guard Jalen Brunson, and Brunson struggled through some of the night, but then he went off uh, late. Emmanuel quickly led the big comeback by the Heat bench. He was plus 22 in 20 minutes uh, at the start of the fourth quarter to get, or I'm sorry, a comeback by the Knicks bench as the Knicks ultimately outscored Miami 29 to 11 in the fourth. Uh, this is well, and so, yeah. So go ahead, sorry. So the story of what happened is is that was the precursor ESPN game to the one that I attended in person. And I was I was winding my way up to the seats, kind of doing the la- last stuff. And so the I, I went a little bit early because the Heat had such a commanding lead. I'm like, oh, I could do that. And then I got sucked into another game. And you know, you can even have a screen up where where it has all the scores. I just wasn't even looking at theirs. I didn't realize that the Heat lost until like half an hour after it was over, and didn't believe it was possible. And and but then remembering that the Knicks were going to their second second unit, which has been so good. And that also because it was something that you and I talked about a little bit in terms of like going through the idea of what could be important on Friday is the Knicks beating the Heat. It takes or do you want to talk about more about the fourth quarter? We would kind of get into that. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. Sure. Uh, I mean, I mentioned Hakez and his rough night and he got called up twice by Jalen Brunson, got scored on Hakez. I He's. I think he could be a liability there. Uh, you know, he he's a tough player, but he uh, doesn't have the greatest wingspan. Like, he can get physical with guys. I think he's probably better on bigger players, but he's someone who I think, you know, if you hit him with a hard crossover, you know, you can just get a pretty open mid-ranger at, at the end of games as a good scorer. That's what Brunson did on him a couple of times, or, or you can get past him in the lane. Uh, he also got into the post against Emmanuel quickly and took like a tough fadeaway that, you know, if you're going to get down there at that time, and his post game has been more effective at other times. You just you need to use your size advantage and draw help or draw foul or something like a 15 foot fadeaway from a rookie in that spot. Probably not what you're looking for. But Miami still had a chance. There was Bam Adebayo almost had the dunk of the year on Isaiah Hardenstein, but bounced it off off the back rim. Next possession comes down. Hartenstein, uh, they're down three. Bam goes to the basket. Hartenstein jumps over and fouls him with about 15 seconds left and barely Bam misses a, a layup. It was really a bad foul by Hartenstein. He probably should have just let him go for a two at that point up three with 15 seconds left rather than risk the three-point play. And then Brunson makes one of two free throws with 10 seconds left. So Heater down two. They push the ball up. They had a timeout. They elect not to take and advance the ball. And I think part of that was not not wanting to let them get defensive players onto the floor. They bring Butler off a screen to the right side. He's isolating, goes to the step back for the win. 
and just rimmed out. It was so close. And so now with uh, that loss, as the Heat were up by a lot, they had a 17-0 run right at the start of the third, looked to be in great position in the group, looked to be uh, headed for a winner-take-all against the Bucks with two teams, 3-0, which would have been the first time in the history of the in-season tournament that we had that. But instead, what are we facing now? A significantly more complicated situation. Um, because, yeah, I was getting amped about a Heat Bucks, especially when you consider the history between those franchises yeah. of recent vintage um that you could could get that moving forward the knicks are well so so first off for milwaukee if they oh yeah should we talk about can we just talk briefly about the end of that milwaukee game sure i mean they they do beat the whiz completely delirious like ending of that game yeah let me just roll through it because the whiz we're gonna talk about i think their wednesday game that we watched together uh for the 15 and 60 but so I, i will save kyle kuzma's antics in that game for a later point but this was truly incredible first of all milwaukee is up by quite a bit and they managed to turn it over kuzma gets an open corner three to get them back in the game it cuts it to one they foul Giannis. dame fell down so they have to throw it in Giannis, but he actually makes two wes unsell calls his last time out to advance the ball it's a three-point game here is your milwaukee bucks defensive lineup and also note that chris middleton exited shortly after the beginning of the second half having just had his minutes limit increased this time it was achilles soreness for chris middleton that led him to having to exit the game which is uh troubling to be sure so this is your defensive lineup to try to stop him from getting a three damian lillard all right he's a superstar sometimes you don't take a superstar out i, I get it cameron Payne, malik beasley Pat Connaughton and Giannis, I guess, thinking that Brooke, Brooke Lopez, who had a nearly a career game in this one, you know, just can't get out to the three-point line enough. Complete miscommunication. I don't think I've ever seen a more open three-pointer in my entire well, life in a need-a-three situation in the last 15 seconds it, of a game it, than this. And it was so funny because Landry Shamet didn't he I don't think he conceived of the idea that he could be that open. He run <laughs> he rushed the three and there was no one near him, but he kind of did it as like a running turnaround because you know you need to kind of need to get it, need to get it off. You think you're gonna get it closed, you know. There's no way that you could like dribble, set your watch, have a daiquiri, and then shoot a three in that circumstance. I've never seen it happen before. So I understand why he didn't expect it to. Yeah, but he just barely grazed the rim. It was an awful shot. Uh, And so then they foul Pat Connaughton. He misses both free throws. Wiz are out of timeouts right now. Kyle Kuzma, down three, under 10 seconds to go, drives the ball up and goes for a two and lays it in with 4.1 remaining. And no timeouts left. Yeah, no timeouts with 4.1 left. And then Milwaukee advances the ball. They throw it into the backcourt. Dame wastes about a second. 3.1 remaining. Makes two free throws. Gets it back to a three-point game. Washington, with no timeouts, runs an incredible play. Great pass. Right on the hands for Kuzma at half court. He's double teamed. Like two bucks go for the ball. Neither one's got it. Kuzma's got it. He's got Jordan Poole streaking down the floor wide open for the Bryce Drews play to hit a three to send it in overtime. And he just looks him off, turns, takes a dribble into two guys and forces up a three pointer from half court that of course wasn't even close it's performance like, art they, at this they, point. the specific point of the play was i mean that's the bryce drew play you throw it to the guy and then someone who's in the backcourt sprints up the floor you get that guy on the move he takes a dribble and you can that's like your only way to get off like a real shot from the backcourt with three seconds left i just i couldn't believe it 
And uh, we'll, we'll give you more context for this uh, on Sunday. I, I'm excited for you to remember this when we do our position rankings in, I don't know, four months or whatever. Like, is he trying to get traded? Like, is, is, is that he, is does he do, feel is like he, if they lose? Or even worse, is he doing what they want? Okay, so Bucks now plus 39 in the group somehow are 3-0 and despite uh, having a couple of like very, very shaky wins at home against New York and Washington. But the Knicks also won. So what does that mean for the group? It means that the Knicks are actually so so the Bucks have a very easy scenario win in their end. That part that part of it is extremely straightforward. If they beat Miami, they're four no. And if they beat Miami because they are currently tied with the Pacers in differential, if the Bucks win, they have the top seed in the quarterfinals for the East. So they, they host and all that fun stuff. And presumably, I guess if they win that game, they would be the host team in Vegas. Not that that matters. For Miami, this is a very tough scenario because they if they win, then theoretically they can go they can they can tie with the Bucks and they would have the tiebreaker. However, the remaining game for the Knicks is facing the Hornets at Madison Square Garden. And the Hornets have been more feisty since they've gotten Miles Bridges back. They've had some they've had some better games, but the Knicks are, to my mind, material favorites in that game. So for Miami to advance, they either need to have the Knicks to win, they always have to win. But they also need the Knicks to lose or to have the best point differential, which is just hard because they're twenty they're twenty-nine points behind the Bucks, so they have to beat them by more than double digits and have the Knicks not win big over the Charlotte Hornets. So Miami's in a really tough spot. This was a game that they needed to win. They could have basically controlled their own destiny. Now they don't. And from Milwaukee, they're actually in a very good spot because the it looks preliminarily, and remember this is preliminary, that the worst case scenario for them is they lose to the Heat, they and the Knicks lose, and then they like they get second. But then they would probably be the wild card unless they get absolutely demolished because there just isn't a high differential three and one team right now. The Celtics could get there by demolishing the Bulls, and will those games will I believe be happening concurrently. But so advantage Bucks, and then number two is actually the Knicks. Like the Knicks are in a really good spot. Yeah, in, in terms of the wild card. Yeah, so. In terms of walk, yeah, in terms yeah. of wild card and potentially winning the group, depending on how it happens in if the Bucks lose to Miami. So, but really, if you're one of these wild card teams, you're hoping that the Bucks win the group because then that takes their spectacular point differential out of it, and then then you've got Knicks plus eighteen, Heat plus eleven, and that'll be. But then for second place in the group, assuming so, the Heat will have lost then if the Bucks win the group. Uh, so the they would be out of it completely. So you've got Knicks plus eighteen. You got Cavs. There's two and one in the group. They've got Atlanta at home. They're plus six right now, but they could easily be Atlanta by like fifteen points or something like that. Uh, and then you've also got that Celtics at home against Chicago. They have an even point differential, and we'll see whether Porzingis can play. Like he's kind of limping around. I, if I had to guess, I don't think he's going to play. We'll see about Drew in that game. If, if he doesn't play, then it, I think things become a lot harder for the Celtics. But the Bulls are also, uh, you know, not not very good. You know, Brooklyn is still plus eight as well. We talked about the possible chaos in East Group C. So you've really, for the wild card, if the Bucks take care of business in Miami, no guarantee, 
by the way. And Miami, of course, will have every incentive to like try to blow out the box uh, as well. So the box are going to have to need to come to play. Like, yeah, they're in pretty decent position for the wild card even so, but also they would very much like to host that game uh, and also be potentially the number one seed in the East and play the wild card team. Although, yeah. if, if the, they, they're not going to know who the wild card team is going to be when they tip off. So they need yeah, to and they're, and they're not going to know who the three is either. Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, so you've really got Cavs, Knicks, Celtics, Nets, Magic, all as like possible teams that could be involved here. And then the, the Heat and the Bucks, depending on the outcome of their game. Exactly. Yeah, for for the wild card and or winning uh, East Group B. It's going to be a crazy night. Can't wait to do it. We'll be on playback. Uh, Getplayback.tv uh, is your link. Uh, Nate Duncan NBA. Uh, we'll be tweeting about it, uh, of course. Also, link is in your Dunkdown Prime email subscription. If you are not a Dunkdown Prime subscriber, perhaps you should consider it. Uh, that is on in-season tournament. I know we got a little bit of news we got to get to here. But yeah, I think that is I think that is it on the in-season tournament. Yeah, we can start in Oklahoma City, and there's not much to say on this other than just to acknowledge that uh, the NBA has said his opening investigation into social media allegations that Josh Giddy may have had an improper sexual relationship with a woman who's underage in Oklahoma. And that's all I really want to say about it at this point. I mean, there, there's some more stuff out there that's very much unconfirmed. I mean, this is unconfirmed to the point where it's just somebody saying something on social media it's not even like oh he's been charged with a crime or anything like that it seems like we're very early on in this process giddy said he wouldn't have any further comment on it today as did mark dignall so uh, i don't expect to hear much about this but needs to be said at least this is national news and then jalen williams didn't play on wednesday against the bulls with a left hip strain uh also sat out there back to back against portland on sunday so don't know if he'll be back for uh, the big in-season tournament game tuesday with minnesota i'm pretty sure they play before then but it's not in this in-season tournament who cares uh we talked about new orleans jose alvarado being back larry nance being back cj mccollum is practicing but is waiting for clearance from his pulmonologist with this being the second collapsed lung that he's uh experienced but if he's practicing that's certainly a, a good sign what else we got here Continuing on the defense first guards, uh, Gary Payton returned from his strained left foot. He had some nice moments in the Warriors win over the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah, had a sick block on Wembenyama. He did. He had a nice block on on Wembenyama. Zach Levine did play uh, against the Raps despite, and he had I think thirty six, um, despite being questionable with right foot soreness pj yeah, Washington. I, I guess we should briefly mention that he was involved in like a little controversy due to refusing an interview post game with a bulls pr sapper and brushing past her and then being forced to apologize it was on film and it had to be addressed by the organization so just just more this unneeded controversy with him having requested a trade apparently and the bulls uh miserable start to the season scoot henderson has returned he's playing limited minutes um, but they, with Scoot back and Brogdon back, the Blazers are going to get meaningfully more watchable, um, though it, it it will still take some time. Yeah, they're still missing Anthony Simon. Scoot was came off the bench. He was one for seven, had seven assists uh, against the Jazz, whom they blew out pretty badly on Wednesday. Couple other pieces of news for Sacramento. We talked about Keegan Murray and Trey Lyles. Um, Keon Ellis 
is missing time with a left ankle sprain. And is then, this the first time we've ever said Keon Ellis's name on this program? I think we talked about him in some in the summer league context yeah. at some point. He's like a, a combo guard. He actually had been getting some tick for them uh, at the expense of Davion Mitchell before it, he got hurt. I think Mike Braun was uh, enamored of his defense. But uh, yeah, he's out with this ankle sprain for the last couple of games. And then the the circuitous journey, the Gulliver's travels of sorts for Philip Petrosev are not yet over. He was originally part of the Harden trade, then got moved from the Clippers to the Kings to reduce their luxury tax bill, was on the Kings for like two weeks, and then is now being waived by the Kings. Petrosev is expected to sign a deal overseas, though I will note that for because it's a, a CBA nerd thing, since he was traded a, a away from the from the Clippers, he is technically eligible to sign with the Sixers. So if Philadelphia really does value him, whether it's now or maybe even he spent some time in Europe or whatever, like they they could sign him this league year if that's what both sides want. Yeah, he'd run a rejoin his favorite Brobdingnagian, uh Joel Embiid. <laughs> is, is that how you say that? I, I'm going to look that up while you do the next uh, <laughs> the next bullet here. The Suns were. I just want to check this to make absolutely sure because I thought I saw him on the floor. Nope, I misread it. I missaw the number. Uh, Drew Eubanks, left ankle sprain. Yuta Watanabe, left quad contusion. I thought I saw Eubanks on the floor, but it must have been a different person. Um, they both missed the game against the Grizzlies. Um, and Shemize Metu, who used to be on the Sacramento Kings, you know, kind of, he, he filled a two-way spot, and I think he had a full roster spot at one point. He, and then on San Antonio, he played 15 minutes, was plus seven in the 110-89 victory. Kelly Oubre participated in individual workouts on Tuesday. He's going to be reevaluated in week. So he's getting closer. That's good news for, for Ubre. And then Joel Embiid missed the um, Wolves Sixers game earlier in the week. I haven't heard anything about like a duration yet on him. Uh, he's probable for their next game. It's this okay. uh, hip soreness that's been uh, kind of bothering him a little bit. This was pretty incredible. Clippers at Spurs. On Wednesday, Clippers win. Of course, Kawhi Leonard, one-time Spur, plays for the Clippers. And uh, he left San Antonio amid somewhat controversial circumstances. And as a result, was getting booed by the fans. I, I think, not sure whether it was Kawhi who said it after. I think he basically said, like, yeah, you know, if people see me out in San Antonio or whatever, it's all love. But, hey, you know, like, uh, on the floor, like, yeah, they're going to boo me. I'm the opposition, whatever. Now, of course, they don't boo every opposing player. Like, there is something specific to that. But mid-second quarter, like, they're booing Kawhi Leonard. And Greg Popovich grabs the PA mic during the game and basically tells the fans to stop booing him because we don't do that here. We're classier. And I understand why Popovich was doing this because there's been the San Antonio Spurs want to get some free agents. That's I, I think they want to get some guys to come play with Victor Wembanyama. They once also almost got Jason Kidd uh, years and years ago. They got Lamarcus Aldridge as a free agent as well. Like they've actually kind of been in the mix. There's talk they might get Chris Paul uh, in 2017 before he went to the Rockets. And you know he's hoping to like get some people to join Victor Wembanyama for sure. And of course, it was a bit of a stain on him and the Spurs that Kawhi Leonard wanted to leave. And we still don't really know the nature 
of that circumstance with that injury and why it was that Kawhi wanted to leave and maybe he just wanted to go to Southern California and maybe it was that they didn't give him the max contract right away even though that did enable them to get LaMarcus Aldridge win 67 games but regardless like he knows it's a bad look there's the LeBron James to Cleveland the KD back to OKC like it's just like that's doesn't look good for prospective free agents so I understand his motivation that said like who the fuck do you think you are grabbing the microphone during live play like okay it's one thing if it's like the fans are throwing trash on the court or something like that like this is or like or like a safety issue yeah like this is just like garden variety booing like you you have the right to come in there and boo if you buy a ticket like for him to admonish the fans like that like i get it like pop you're a legend there uh, it heartened me that apparently like it, he still got leonard still got booed some afterwards and like hey like yeah i completely understand they, they want to boo him like he he like wanted out of the organization like and it wasn't even i think it's actually different if he left in free agency i think you actually have a lot less reason to boo like his contract's over he doesn't owe you anything like if you ask for a trade while you're still under contract in some ways that's actually better for the organization but still right that's not really fulfilling your contract i get it like i don't begrudge players for doing that but i also don't begrudge fans for booing in that situation so just like the arrogance of doing that where it's like oh yeah like i'm I'm the coach i oh i don't like something the fans are are mildly it's annoying so i'm gonna just like pick up the pa mic like are you you kidding me like yeah all right i know you're greg profits i know you're you won team team usa's gold medal barely by the way uh and you've won a bunch of championships there and you're like i think he's it's just just a little too much of a god complex there for greg Popovich, for my taste personally i'm excited for you to become the podcast charles barkley and not be allowed in san antonio again <laughs> uh ryan oh, but- rollins is missing time with a right knee sprain for the uh for the washington wizards he uh, was unavailable again monte morris the detroit pistons are dealing with some real absences morris is dealing with this right quad strain He's going to miss six to eight more weeks. He's already been out, and yeah. that sucks. He's not going to, you know, the Flint native is not going to play in a Pistons uniform until 2024 at the earliest. And by that point, the Pistons season could be in a very different place. Jalen Duran had missed five games in a row. He returned in that aforementioned loss to the Indiana Pacers. Yeah, and came then, off the bench, though. And then Bojan Bogdanovic and Joe Harris are still out. They were both listed as questionable, but then ruled out a day early. Bogdanovic, right calf strain. Harris, right shoulder sprain. Yeah, it was interesting that they were questionable and then ruled out a day early. You know, if questionable was truly a 50-50, you would expect them to be a game-time decision. But Bojan would be making uh, his debut, of course, and they now have lost uh, 30. 13 straight games uh, although they were a little bit more competitive in this one but yeah monte morris our hoped for savior from killian hayes sadly uh his return to the state of michigan uh, has not been a, a smooth one and yeah i mean it just seems like this is like for him to miss you know essentially three months with this quadriceps strain that that is definitely concerning jamal murray he was listed as doubtful against houston wasn't the case 
uh, obviously that he played, but maybe some hope he could come back uh, soon. I mean, I don't know that they would have rushed him back at all for the tournament. They're not going to qualify anyway. Donovan Mitchell didn't play against the Heat, even though they didn't have Bam out of bio. The Heat completely blew them out uh, on Wednesday, that right hamstring train. But he and Isaac Okor were both seen back at practice on Friday. So maybe there's some hope they could be back, particularly because the Cavs are still alive for the wild card in the tournament on Tuesday uh, with a home game against the Hawks. And for Charlotte, P.J. Washington has been missing time with right foot discomfort. And Nick Richards missed a third straight in that drunken game against the Wizards on Wednesday with a concussion. And Terry Rozier, no sign of him still. He's been out two and a half weeks with a groin strain. And finally, Cam Thomas has increased his on-court activity with that left ankle sprain. He's been out a couple of weeks. It was a pretty bad one. I mean, that's increasing his on-court activity. That still says he's at least a week away to me. And a lower back sprain has kept Dennis Smith Jr. out. He's going to miss again on Saturday against the Heat. And yeah, just a shame that Dennis Smith Jr. cannot stay healthy. Good defensive guard when he's available, but it's uh, been rough. And Ben Simmons like kind of increases activity, but it still doesn't seem to be particularly close either. Uh, yeah. All right. These Fridays, this is the last uh, big Friday gamer uh, that is now Saturday. I know, I know we're going to miss these. I actually kind of am, but it's all right. This will be a fun, like early season tradition to like get into things. So anything else you got or should we wrap it here? No, that's good. <laughs> well, at one uh, ten a.m. Pacific time, I will then bid you adieu and we'll talk to y'all on Sunday. Another monster episode coming with the 15 and 60 Eastern Conference style. Talk to y'all then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.